You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is by rural leaders and for rural leaders. It is our goal every single week, week in and week out, to bring you content that is not just spoken to the rural church, but is spoken by people who get it, who understand what it means to do God's work in small, out-of-the-way places. So if you're tuning in and you are a pastor or a volunteer or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher, we just hope that you walk away feeling equipped and encouraged to do what God's asked you to do in your small town. I am your host, Joe Epley, and today I am excited to walk through an interview with Pastor Monty Reichenberg. Um, I really enjoyed hearing, uh, you know, the story of his church, how they involved in the community, and we're going to talk about food bank and, and how that all ties into this greater story of the gospel and what it's doing in Moorcroft, Wyoming. And so uh, I'm excited to dive right in. But the first thing I want to do is say, Pastor Monty, how are you today, sir? I'm doing pretty well, thank you. How about yourself, Joe? I'm doing good. It's uh, you know, we're we're holding on to summer as long as we can. I think it's a high of 80 today in in southeast Montana here, and I'll take it. You know, I'll take it for as long as I can. So, yep. well, hey, I always like to give people a bit of a snapshot of someone's life and ministry, and so if you could just give us a give us an overview of kind of where you've been, what you've done, and and your connection to the rural church. Okay. Well, uh, my walk has been a on and off again. Uh, type relationship. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior when I was about 11 years old, but my father was uh, killed when I was nine. I started working out away from home at a very young age and working around older men. Um, I learned things that a youngster just really didn't need to learn to do. So I kind of left the faith for a while. Well, I didn't leave the faith, but I didn't practice it very well. Sure, sure. So it took me quite a while. I spent the first uh, 30 years of my life or working life probably doing pretty much what I wanted when I wanted without much consideration to what, how it affected other people. Sure. 1989, I had uh, what St. John of the Cross called the long, dark night of the soul. And just a whole lot of things were happening. And and I uh, finally came to the point where I realized that I either needed to get God or I wasn't going to make it. And so as a result of that, I started my walk back. Um, Pastor Dwight happened to be at a church. Uh, I was working on a registered Angus ranch at that time, and he uh, would come out and ride with us and visit with us. So uh, through meeting him, I started going to the church there and eventually uh, found my way back to the Lord. And so I've been uh, serving in ministry of one type or another since that time. Awesome. And so uh, how long have you been in Moorcroft, Wyoming? I've been here a little over nine years now. And uh, and where were you before that? I served uh, 14 and a half years in uh, a little rural church out between Paris, Illinois and Terre Haute, Indiana. Uh, my wife was a pastor in Charleston, Illinois, when uh, we got married in 1994. I moved out there, and uh, I'd been doing pulpit supply and things. And eventually, I was uh, doing pulpit supply at a church called New Providence Presbyterian Church out there. And uh, they were needing a pastor, and uh, they asked, wanted to know if I'd be interested. And I said, yes. 
my wife and I sat down and we figured out what we'd need, you know, the bare minimum for us to uh, be able to do that because the church was about 40 miles from where we lived. And the, the day that we went to discuss it, that was the, the exact package that they offered me. So oh, wow. felt God uh, was involved in it. And uh, I was a lay pastor for seven years, but soon as I started, I understood that if I was going to help other people grow in their faith, I needed to be growing in mine. So I started seminary in, uh, at the age of 50, went to seminary. I don't have a college degree. I never went to college. And so I thought that would probably exclude me from going to seminary. But my wife was uh, taking her doctorate in Louisville at the time, and she discovered that there were five colleges that would, or seminaries that would accept me as a probationary student using my life experience as my undergraduate degree. So hmm. I matriculated in uh, 2000 and well, the fall of 2000, I guess. From there, I was on probation the first semester to prove I could do the work, and I was able to uh, establish that with God's help. And fortunately, yeah. as we talked before, uh, my first semester, I had to stay on campus, and my roommate uh, happened to be an IT guy for the IRS, so he was great with computers, which yeah, I had yeah. to do. I was strong in Old Testament, which... He had little knowledge, so Perfect. God helped us help each other to get through our first semester together. I love that. Man, what a cool story, and what a, what a cool story of even how God showed up in your life, uh, even as you're stepping into it. And that's, I mean, that's the cool part about pastoral ministry, right? We kind of get front seat to seeing God do all these cool things. Yes, we do. It's always amazing to see how far ahead of us he is. Yeah. Well, uh, I know that in Moorcroft, one of the big parts of your and I's conversation over the phone was we talked about kind of the food bank or the food pantry that your church has been involved in. And uh, and I kind of want people to hear just the overall story. Uh, when you set out to kind of establish a, a food bank or food pantry, what was the heart behind it? Who does it serve? And kind of how did it get off the ground? You know, tell us that that story. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned before, we didn't really start out to set out to start a food pantry. Sure. Uh, we were trying to set up an emergency system to help people in need in an emergency. Local uh, elder from the LDS church who was in the emergency, uh, well, he's working with uh, on their emergency planning, and he contacted me and said, you know, I just found out Campbell County, which is where I'm at, they're kind of looking at Crook County to take care of us. And Crook County's kind of looking at Campbell County to take care of us. <laughs> it seems to me we ought to get together and form <laughs> our own plans. Yeah, it turns get, out nobody's taking care of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get to know each other, you know, before an emergency happens rather than trying to build something uh, in the midst of an emergency. And so we started meeting. We had uh, four different congregations in the area uh, involved, and we were doing emergency planning. And uh, at one of our meetings, we had a representative from then the, the food bank of the Rockies, and uh, they informed us 
that uh, our county, Crook County, and the county south of us, Weston County, were the number one and number two most food insecure counties in the state of Wyoming. Wow. And uh, that's not a list you want to be on the top of. <laughs> True. So we started looking at uh, helping out a pantry that was already here. We were trying to help them, um, you know, with food. We volunteers to try to get, uh, they were only open for about an hour, twice a month. So we were looking for ways to increase that and help their food supply. But because of the way things were lined up, the food bank didn't want to send us food without us being registered. So we had to register and all this. And what we come to find out is, is God was way ahead of us. Mm. And uh, we got set up as a food pantry. We got some of our own funding. And then uh, COVID hit and they had uh, problems with shipping and everything. But we already had everything in, in uh, the works. You know, everything was set up to go. So even when the food bank was running low on food, our local grocery store uh, was able to help let us order directly through them. And oh, nice. so we were able to pre-order just out of the blue. A group contacted us one day and said, hey, can you guys use a little money to buy food? And said, yes, we can. Said, well, we're thinking about a small grant. And I'm thinking 5000 or so. That would be great. And they said, yeah, give you $25,000. Wow. So we used that to pre-order food and it came in and we'd always do a Thanksgiving basket. And uh, we were expecting to serve 250 families. Now, when we started, we were serving 10 or 12 families uh, right. and thought we were doing something. But in a couple of years, we were uh, doing 250 families at each event. And so that's what we were planning on. 351 families showed up. Wow. And um, so, but fortunately, we'd gotten that grant and we'd pre-ordered the food and it was sitting there. And so we had volunteers inside filling boxes as fast as they could go and others taking them out. And uh, because of COVID, we were doing a drive-through model, you know, where we set the food in their car and they just kept going. And so we were able to provide food for all 351 families. So oh, wow. God's always just been so far ahead of us that it, you know, it's just amazing. Yeah. And I love hearing that story. Uh, uh, it's cool. It's cool to see what turns into, you know, it's like you said, God's so far ahead. I mean, here you have a food bank and you say, well, we're just trying to do something. So you got eight families, 10 families, and then down the road, suddenly it's 250 families and 350 families and God just keeps showing up. I know when I talked to you, uh, the Thanksgiving story, I'm glad you shared it because that was a really powerful moment for me to recognize, man, God is in, you know, what yeah. you're doing. Um, but also, you know, I, I feel like you had mentioned to me, maybe, maybe people would come to your church who had been impacted by the volunteers of the food bank or even uh, opportunities you get to minister to the people directly through prayer and other things. So tell us about some of that. Yes. Well, we've had uh, people start coming to church here and join and uh, you know one of the questions we ask them well how did you come to pick us and uh, over and over again i hear people say well i was talking to this person and that they were volunteering at this and uh, some were volunteering there and each time i'd ask you know 
what church do you go to? Well, they were saying, well, it's um, First Presbyterian there in Moorcroft. And so I decided that that was a church that was doing something in the community, and I wanted to be a part of it. So um, here I am, and, and they continue to be volunteers, um, praying for people. Um, as people come in, of course, people don't show up at a food pantry because everything's good in their life. Right. Nothing's hunky-dory. Yeah. Especially during COVID when so many people, their jobs became non-essential. So basically, they were laid off. Now, if you're salaried, that might work okay. But when you're an hourly employee, um, people were coming in. They were, uh, you know, out of a job. They'd gone through their savings. And so people would be sharing as we're signing them in uh, what was going on in their life and say, can you pray for me? Yeah. And we would stop right then. And our uh, helpers, we uh, talk to them about that too. If someone mentions a concern and asks you to pray for them, right then's the time to do it. Stop what you're doing and uh, just have a prayer with them, with the people around you and uh, pray for them. And so we feel like we're really witnessing uh, to the love of God in our community just by doing that. In fact, uh, yesterday we had a pantry, a woman uh, pulled in and, and told me you know, what was going on in her life and asked me to pray. So we just had a prayer with her right then. And, and uh, she was very grateful uh, about that. Yeah. And uh, I love how readily, you know, if, if I'm a rural pastor tuning into to our conversation, I love the lessons that are just right at the surface there. You know, I mean, to say, man, who knew the food bank was going to grow to what it did? But you set out just to to say, hey, let's put our hand to something. You know, you think about the power of prayer with people. You mm -hmm. think about even even that lesson of saying, man, she came to your church because she saw your people doing something that was a tangible expression of the kingdom of God. These are all just great things to be reminded of as rural leaders and rural pastors that we can do this, that, that when we do something, put our hand to something, God can show up in really big ways. Yeah. I, I talked to my people about, you know, the ministry of presence. Mm. As Jesus was always present to people in his community with his disciples, but even non-disciples. You know, he was eating with them. He was uh, participating with them. And I think that's just a, a very uh, important aspect of ministry is just being present when people are uh, loss of loved ones in the hospital uh, having somebody there to pray with them, to hold their hand, uh, to just be a sounding board. You know, I tell people, you know, if you want to kick and scream and holler, that's okay. I'll be right there and listen. And if you want to pray, but sometimes people need to vent. And so it's not a fun part of the job, but it's still something that uh, needs to be done. And, and Jesus showed the same thing. I mean, he was there for people when they were hurting and uh, did what he could. And a lot of times, uh, all we can do is be there and hold their hand, but let them know somebody cares and that God loves them. And that's important. Yeah. So I want to dive back into your life a little bit in terms of looking back. I know that you and I both shared over the phone our admiration for the story of Joseph, right, from the Bible, where where you see how Joseph just kind of goes through a bunch of different things. He's obviously, you know, learning to manage a household then learning to manage kind of a corporate structure in the prison. And then of course, God eventually uses these experiences 
you know, to teach him certain things. And then he's put in charge of Egypt and sees the call of God come to pass. It's a beautiful story of how God wastes nothing in our development. You know, he just really uses it all. And so I, I want you to kind of tell our listeners about uh, maybe leading wagon trains, right? And 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 it's an unlikely thing. Like if I if I said, "Hey, I've got a guy that I'm talking to that leads wagon trains," no one no one does that. You know what I'm saying? That's not a common skill. <laughs> so, what did God teach you? Kind of what was your experience? What was how was God shaping you through that season in your life? Well, this was happening at the same time I was or started anyway while I was going through that long dark night of the soul, and you know. You think, man, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And um, I, I think Joseph must have thought that a whole lot of times. I mean, his yeah. brothers throwing him in the cistern, uh, selling him to slavery, being in Potter's household, and then being falsely accused, thrown in prison. Each time, that must have been the worst thing that had happened to him. But yet, what we see is, is that God can take the very worst thing that can happen to us and turn it into something good in the future. And of course, uh, the death of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah on the cross is the ultimate proof of that. I mean, what the whole Absolutely. was the very worst thing that could possibly happen, the death of the Messiah. God used it to be the good news of salvation for an entire world. But it's hard for us to see that when we're in the midst of things. But as we talked before, um, I was working for a place in western Nebraska where we took people out on one to six day covered wagon excursions. And and uh, the boss, the owner had led it for a number of years and he was retiring and his son tried to do it. But he was uh, just, well, it caused him so much anxiety. It was causing him health problems. And so um, they tried me at the position and it, it's a lot of stress because um, you take 40, 60 dudes that have never been uh, out in the open and doing things, camping, and and they do all kinds of things to get themselves hurt or killed, you know. And so yeah. very stressful. But the, the boss's wife and I, she was a great prayer warrior. And, uh, and we talk about it, you know, praying and stuff. And I was always praying that God would open my heart and mind to what was going on. And I had a, one day we were a wagon train. And as I got on the, my wagon, I always, when I was the wagon master, I stayed at the very back so I could see what was going on. And we had a system where uh, when it start the wagon train, the wagon at the back would yell wagons to let them know they were ready. And then the the command would go up until he got to the lead and then the command to move forward would be issued. And as I got up on my wagon, I visually saw the neck yoke on my right hand animal break loose and shove to the left. And it shook my head and looked and everything looked okay, but it bothered me enough. I got down and checked it out. Yep, mine was fine. So I got back up on the wagon and we started and we hadn't barely gone a hundred feet when the exact thing that I had seen to my wagon happened to the wagon ahead of me. Mm. And I was able to get my team around in front of them and stop the other team before they could run. But uh, it was very scary. But after that, several occasions, I would see something. I mean, literally see it. So 
I would get down and go along the wagon train. And each time I found exactly that situation where a guest had hooked up, uh, you know, a check line wrong or um, one case they had uh, hooked the rings into the neck yoke wrong to where if it, they'd went on, it would have pulled the end off. And so just find that God continually uh, works with us. I'm always surprised at how interested God is in being in a continual relationship with us every moment of every day. And uh, even in the most minute things, God has a desire to be with us. But I was just always so amazed how, uh, you know, just a smuck like me could have a vision too, just like Joseph talks about. And it would be something that would save somebody from being hurt or uh, even worse, you know, in, in some of those situations. Yeah. And honestly, uh, again, what a great lesson to pull. I mean, being in the rural church has all sorts of seasons, seasons where you feel more used of God and less used of God. And yet, in even in mundane things, I mean, just leading some oxen out, you know, having a wagon train, and here God is giving you visions of, of keeping people safe. And it's just an incredible, incredible story. Well, hey, the last question I want to ask you, Pastor Monty, is because, uh, cause, I mean, our, our listeners won't be able to see you and me, but let's just say my hair our- color is one thing and your hair color is another, you know, and I got some on top and you might have a little less. Who knows? But all <laughs> that to say, uh, you've lived longer than me and you've been in ministry longer than me. And what's some wisdom that you've lived by throughout your life and, and what encouragement could you pass on to younger pastors? Well, Again, I would mention the ministry of presence. Um, I think that's very important. Um, one thing I, I learned uh, early on was that uh, when you've got something to bring to your board that you're wanting approval for, if it comes from the pastor, a lot of times everybody, all oh, that pastor, he's just trying to make us do stuff. Um, I learned early that uh, the best way was to talk to one of my elders or two and explain what was going on and answer their questions. Excuse me, and then let them bring it up at the board meeting. Mm, now that's wisdom. And when it comes from one of their own, it will almost always sail right through. Whereas the pastor brings it up, there's quite often a, a, an adversarial approach to it. You know, you know that pastor just trying to sure. talk. Uh, and so that's one thing that I would just throw out there. Another one is, is uh, my wife several years ago was working uh, with a very small church. I think they only had 12 to 15 people in attendance in this little town. And they developed what they called a FNAFI program. And that stands for Find a Need and Fill It. And they uh, went to their local school and asked, you know, um, are there any kids that are needing coats and gloves for winter? And yes, uh, they had like 15 kids that they could name that needed to have coats and gloves. So this little congregation, they bought coats and gloves for the 15 kids. And then they, I don't know, several other things that they just found out. And so this congregation was small, but they became active in their community. And because of that, uh, they started seeing more people coming uh, to visit and to join. And so they experienced some growth simply because they were trying to find wherever there was a need and do something about it. And, you know, that's just fulfilling the commission to go forth, you know, be, pre-clothe the naked. So 
that would be something that I would encourage. Uh, look and see where there's a need and then see how we can uh, bring God into the situation and and do what you can. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Pastor Monte. This has just been a delightful conversation today. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed visiting with you. God bless. Well, from all of us at Rural Advancement, I just want to say thanks again for tuning in. Again, it is our goal, it is our heart, it is our desire to bring you content that is not just spoken to the rural church, but is spoken by people who get it. Uh, What you're doing has immense value to the kingdom of God, and the people you serve matter to God's heart. So we see you, we value you, we hope you're equipped. I have been Joe Epley, he has been Pastor Monty Reichenberg, and we will see you next week.